Good morning. Thanks for tuning in. This is Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, where we share the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ in all we do. Hello everyone, I'm Pastor Julie Lewis from Asbury United Methodist Church in Smyrna, Delaware, and we certainly welcome you. If you are listening on our podcast, um, we are just so excited that you would take the time to share the Word of God with us. So we are in the middle of a series called Imperishable, and today's sermon will be Imperishable Salvation, and our scripture today is 1 Peter 3, 13-22. Now who will harm you if you are eager to do what is good? But even if you do suffer for doing what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear, and do not be intimidated. But in your hearts, sanctify Christ as Lord. Always be ready to make your defense to anyone who demands from you an accounting for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and reverence. Keep your conscience clear, so that when you are maligned, Those who abuse you for your good conduct in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if suffering should be God's will, than to suffer for doing evil. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, in order to bring you to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made a proclamation to the spirits in prison, who in former times did not obey, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through the water. And baptism, which this prefigured, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. The word of God for the people of God. Thank you, and thanks be to God. There's a story I heard once, well, more than once, called The Anguishing Choice, and I'm not exactly sure where it originated from. There were two young men who were forced to go to church one Sunday and to their disdain made to sit in the front row. And after a few of the usual hymns, the pastor stood up, walked over to the pulpit, and introduced his childhood friend. With that, an elderly man stepped up to the pulpit to speak. A father and his son and a friend of his son were sailing off the Pacific coast, he began, when a fast-approaching storm blocked any attempt to get back to the shore. The waves were so high that even though the father was an experienced sailor, he could not keep the boat upright, and the three were swept into the ocean. The old man hesitated for a moment, making eye contact with the two teenagers who were, for the first time since the service began, looking somewhat interested in his story. He continued, The father fought the wave and grabbed a rescue line. He had to make the most excruciating decision of his life. To which boy would he throw the other end of the lifeline? He had only seconds to make his decision. The father knew that his son was a Christian, that he had faith in Christ, and he also knew that his son's friend was not. The agony of his decision could not be matched by the torrent of the waves. 
Again, the old man hesitated and bent his head while continuing the story. As the father yelled out, I love you, son, he threw the lifeline to his son's friend. By the time the father had pulled his son's friend back to the capsized boat, his son had disappeared beneath the raging sea, and his body was never recovered. By this time, the two teenagers were sitting up straight in the pew, anxiously waiting for the next words to come out of the old man's mouth. The father, the old man continued with an emotion-clad voice, knew his son would step into eternity with Jesus, and he could not bear the thought of his son's friend stepping into an eternity without Jesus. Therefore, he sacrificed his only son to save his son's friend. With that, the old man turned and sat back down in his chair as silence filled the church. And as the pastor walked to the pulpit to deliver his sermon, the two teenagers disrupted him, and one of them said to the old man, that was a nice story, but I don't think it makes any sense that a father would give up his only son's life in hopes that the other boy would become a Christian. The old man got up from his seat, smiled, and said softly to the teenagers, hmm, well, you've got a point there. It sure doesn't sound very true, does it? But I'm standing here today to tell you that this story gives me a glimpse of what it must have been like for God to give up his only son for me. You see, I was that father in the sea, and your pastor is my son's friend. This story is about being saved, and today we're talking about what it means, being saved, or in Christian terms, having salvation. We've been working our way through the book of 1 Peter, and in the first chapter, the writer says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's so much our passage is trying to say to us. We've already talked about new birth and that living hope. We've talked about faith and not only what it means, but the gifts we receive when we put our faith in Christ. Our passage today speaks to our salvation. Who is it that saves us? What are we being saved from? And what are we being saved for? And if you remember, 1 Peter is written to a community of Christians living in the furthest reaches of the Roman Empire who feel like aliens and exiles. They live in communities where the way they live as followers of Jesus Christ is markedly different from the rest of society. They don't worship the Roman gods. They only worship Jesus. They don't pay attention to the current class structure. Everyone is equal in their eyes. They don't lie, cheat, and steal to claw their way up the social ladder. They treat people with integrity and love. Yet with all of that, they are being mistreated. Their faith makes them targets of gossip, of malicious slander, of discrimination, and bullying. It may not be the Roman Colosseum kind of persecution, but they are being persecuted for their faith. There is a measure of suffering going on in their lives. The writer is trying to encourage them to continue to live according to their faith to be examples of love and hope in the world, in spite of their suffering. 
He tells them that their suffering is inevitable and should remind them that their suffering proves their faith must be genuine. So keep going. Stay strong. Don't succumb to the urge to pay people back in kind when they treat you badly. Love people, even those you might call your enemies, with the same sacrificial and unconditional love that Christ has given to us. And not only that, live your lives in such a way that will put them to shame when they do say bad things about you. But isn't that a hard thing to do, though? Have any of you ever had someone say something about you designed to make you look bad or make you feel small, maybe pointing out your faults or how you might not measure up and maybe they're true and maybe it's not true, but either way, my first impulse when that happens is not to give them a big hug and tell them how much I love them. It's only human nature to want to hurt them back the same way they hurt us or to lash out somehow to let them know how much it hurt us. Sometimes we just feel the need to defend ourselves or let others know we didn't really do anything wrong. We want to set the record straight. But as the writer of 1 Peter says, it doesn't matter what the world thinks. You don't need to set the record straight. Do not fear what they fear, he says. In other words, as people of faith, we don't need to be afraid of what the world thinks or says about us. How we live our lives tells the world about the hope we have in Jesus. We have been saved by grace, what he calls God's great mercy, through our faith in Christ. We have salvation, so we have nothing to fear. But what exactly is salvation? Now, we also call it being saved, so let's start with the obvious question. What are we being saved from? Well, the dictionary definition of salvation is preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. And as Christians, salvation is the deliverance from sin and its consequences or from the power and penalty of sin. Well, what does that mean? Well, remember that sin is defined as any action, thought, word, or deed that misses the mark of how we are called to live. Anytime we are not loving to God, to ourselves, or to our neighbors. Romans 6.23 helps us understand the penalties and consequences part. It says, for the wages of sin is death. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin separates us from God, our source of life, and so without faith in Christ we have no relationship with God. As people living in sin, living without God, we are really just dead people walking. I've heard people tell me before that before they knew God, they felt dead inside or like there was something missing. Faith gives us that new birth into a living hope and saves us from the power of sin and death. That is what the cross and the empty tomb were all about, saving us from the power of sin in our lives and from the power of death, both in this life and in the next. Our passage today reminds us that Christ also suffered for sins once for all which simply means that on the cross, the power of sin in the world, all of our sins, past, present, and future, were conquered forever. But why did he do that? What was the purpose? 
Well, from the beginning, we were created out of love in order to have a relationship with our creator. God loves us, all of us, so deeply. And once sin came into the world and began to exert its power over us, separating us from the love of our creator, God put a plan into place that throws us that lifeline. Just like the father in our boat story, he sent his son to save us. You do know that Jesus is God, right? God himself came to earth as a human to show us what real love looked like. He knew that if we could grab hold of that love, the power of sin would be broken. The depth of his love was shown on the cross as he sacrificed himself so that we could choose life. He was put to death in the flesh, but was made alive in the spirit, resurrected to life, breaking the power of sin and death. Baptism marks the moment in our new life as a Christian, when we boldly claim our faith in Christ as our Savior, taking hold of our salvation. We respond to and accept God's offer of that new life. The water represents dying to our old life and rising to new life in Christ. Our passage says baptism now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. That good conscience is just a way of saying we want to have a desire to follow Christ, to live as he taught us to live, to love as he taught us to love. When we put our faith in Christ, we receive salvation through the grace we have been given through Jesus Christ. And our faith gives us back our relationship with God, and we are born again into a living hope. We have salvation and eternal life that no one can ever take from us. And we can live our lives in full confidence of this fact, because as our passage says, he has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. Jesus is Lord of everything. But how does that help us in today's world? What are we saved for? The people Peter is writing to were living in scary times. They didn't know what would happen to them from one minute to the next. Would they still have a job? Would they be falsely accused and sent to prison? Would their reputation be challenged? What can he say to them to help them Stay steady in their faith to give them something to hold on to during these challenging times. And I think back to the story of the father and the two boys in the sea. The seas were rough, threatening to take all their lives. It had to be terrifying. Now, we're living in pretty terrifying times right now. It's easy to be afraid. It's easy to let our anxiety cause us to lash out at others. Just watching the news can make us feel tossed about by this modern-day storm. When will the next wave hit us? Will we survive? What is going to happen next? The writer reminds us that as people of faith, we have imperishable salvation. Just like that father in our story knew that even if the worst thing happened that day, and it did, that his son had that gift of salvation, that his life was secure, waiting for him in heaven. Jesus is the ruler of all, and nothing can separate us from the love of God we find in Christ Jesus. Through the resurrection of his son, we have access to that new life, and our faith is all we need to have that hope. 
Revelation 3.8 says, I have opened a door that no one can shut. Jesus is that open door, our lifeline. Faith is our decision to walk through that door or grab hold of that lifeline we call salvation. Once we have that, we have a hope that is certain and secure, often called an anchor for our souls. Then no matter what this life throws at us, no matter how tossed about we feel, we do not have to be afraid of anything or anyone. We can face any storm with hope that nothing in this life can take away our life in Christ. And so as people of faith, saved by grace and given new life, we are called to live out that hope in our lives while we are here, living as people of God in a world that is often marked with suffering. So we live lives marked by love, loving God and one another, loving ourselves, loving our neighbors and our enemies, praying for our enemies and not repaying evil for evil, but by being compassionate, gentle, kind, and humble. We love by giving to the poor and needy, visiting the lonely and sick, even if just by a phone call right now, standing up for justice, supporting our local businesses as much as we can, praying for opportunities to help others, doing whatever we need to do to protect others from getting sick, not spreading rumors or being malicious, but by looking for the good in everyone and sacrificing to show them the love of God that we have found in Jesus Christ. If you have been baptized, remember your baptism. Remember the gift of salvation you have received in Christ. Don't be afraid. Even if the worst happens, we know the end of the story. And we know we will all be together one day. If you have not yet put your faith in Christ and really want to receive the security of salvation, to know you have eternal life, then now is the time. Let us throw you that lifeline and let you grab hold of it. Please take a moment in your heart to pray with me now. If you have given your heart to Christ and want to be baptized, we can make that happen even now. Just get up with me. Praise God for you. Let us pray. Gracious God, we just ask you to speak to our hearts. Let us grab hold of that lifeline that you have given us in the sacrifice of your son, Jesus. Lord, so much was lost so that we could gain. Lord, we thank you for your son, and we thank you for this gift of salvation, this gift of new life, life that can never be taken away from us. Lord, we put our faith in you this day and receive the gift of salvation through your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now go, live and love like Jesus, and be ready to throw out a lifeline. Tell people about Jesus, the anchor for your soul. Together, let's combat the fear of the moment with the amazing, sacrificial, and unconditional, amazing love of Christ. Amen.